Hey everyone, my name is Tammy, and welcome to the newest episode of 100% Unapologetic. Hey everyone, welcome back to 100% Unapologetic. Uh, for those who tuned in last time for the trailer, I just want to thank you for spending some time listening to what this podcast is about. And this is the official episode, and I'm so excited to invite a really good friend of mine, Hannah. Uh, we met back in university. We majored psychology together, and we happened to be classmates. So that's how we became friends. And yeah, Hannah, why don't you introduce yourself? Thank you so much for having me, Tammy. I'm so grateful to be a guest on your podcast. And as you mentioned, we did meet in university. And I think the really special thing about our relationship is that we've managed to stay in touch, even though we don't live in the same city anymore. I live out in Ontario. We still are able to have these really beautiful, deep and meaningful conversations, uh, even over Facebook chat or video chat. And I think that's so special. And so I'm really excited to have this podcast conversation with you today. We always have very insightful conversations about many things, especially wellness and mental health, because that's what we took together in university. And uh, Hannah is a yoga teacher, and she's always practicing yoga and meditation. And the reason why I invited Hannah to our podcast channel is because I really want to discuss together with you, Hannah, about benefits of it and you know for well-being and how we can use it to overcome COVID stress and anxiety so this conversation can be interesting for you if you want to know about yoga meditation especially if you have no knowledge about it and yeah why don't you elaborate more on your experiences and your uh you know why you started teaching yoga and meditation yeah absolutely so essentially a brief story of how I got into yoga I tried I tried it a few times in high school and I actually didn't really love it when I first tried yoga classes and I found it a little boring to be honest and I just I just didn't really understand the whole concept but I found that throughout university in times when I was less busy I really turned to yoga and meditation um, as a way to just have a hobby and I felt myself enjoying it more and more but the problem was as I always found when I got busy with studies, uh, yoga and meditation were sort of the first thing to go, first thing off of my list of things to do. So I felt like I was really drawn to it, but I wasn't really sure how I was going to incorporate it into my life. I also had this view of what my life might be. As you mentioned before, you know, we were both studying psychology. I definitely had a little bit of a creative soul always as well. I was doing a minor in creative writing. And throughout university, I always worked in jobs at the university. So I sort of had this idea that my life was going to be working with students and people in a university or college setting. And that was sort of the career path that I was going to take. So essentially, after graduating, that's what I started doing. I began working at a college that was much smaller than our university where we went. Uh, but at the beginning, I enjoyed it and was just kind of excited to have that experience of a nine to five job and just to feel what that was like for me. But I could tell sort of a year into that, that 
it wasn't going to be the right lifestyle for me. There wasn't enough creativity in it. There wasn't enough variety in my days. Um, And ultimately, it just wasn't enough for me. And so I sort of made sure to stick with that long enough so I was able to save up some money and be really sure that I wanted to make a transition in my life. And I came to a point where I decided to bring yoga and meditation to the forefront. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go and do my 200 hour yoga teacher training. So I had a huge life transition. I guess it's been about two years now, but essentially I quit my job. I went and trained, did this 200 hour yoga teacher training in California. And then I moved also out to Ontario, which is where I'm originally from. I did grow up here, so it wasn't a really daunting move, but still my whole life was changing and everything was changing. And that's essentially where I just decided, you know, I wanted to make yoga and meditation a part of my career. I also wanted to bring some more creativity. So yoga and meditation isn't the only thing that I do for a living. I also do have a job working with a nonprofit, uh, working with individuals of special with special needs. And so that's sort of a nice variety for me. I get that chance to work with people, which is something I love and always envisions myself doing. But I also get to have this small business, which I run, which is a yoga and meditation teaching business that I'm so grateful for. We always talk about how we have this difficult journey of figuring out what we want to do after university. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to Hannah's experience. And I also had the same experience with what you just said you spent some time figuring out what to do with your jobs and stuff like that and then you also kind of utilize your hobbies and your passion for uh, yoga meditation trying to help others around you I really respect that and you know my first experience with yoga was around like five to six years ago I took a hot yoga class and I felt very like lightheaded and I felt I wasn't good at what I was doing maybe due to my thalassemia condition you know it's like a mild blood disorder usually I'm really tired because my body doesn't produce enough red blood cells so I took a few more other classes and I wasn't that into it because I was intimidated by a lot of the difficult positions and the community is quite intimidating because a lot of people seem to know what they're doing they've been doing it for years I gave up ever since and then later on I kind of tried to do do something with meditation. In the beginning of last year, I was not doing really well with my anxiety. So I meditated before bedtime. I didn't know a lot about meditation back then. Uh, it was just like a little experiment because I thought maybe I need to fix my mental health a little bit. Like maybe meditation would help because I've heard great things about it, how breathing techniques and being in a posture that would allow yourself to breathe in and breathe out and just embrace the moment and stuff like that so after having that kind of habit for a year now and then I'm still doing it on and off during different days it really depends on my mood my uh, mental state so but yeah like I realized how significantly it is 
helping with my mental health. Sometimes I really wish that a lot more people would talk about this. You know, it's a big thing, especially now when you know we're going through a pandemic, and it's so important to stay sane and healthy. Not just physically healthy. I feel like meditation really helps with inner health and your mental state and all that. Yeah. Well, basically, I'm just so looking forward to diving deeper into these topics of yoga and meditation and what they can do for us, our mental health, everything that you've mentioned. And I'm really looking forward to being very honest and raw about the challenges of yoga and meditation and the culture and everything like that. Uh, because I think, like you said, it's it's important and it's something that maybe not is not talked about enough. And as beginners coming into doing yoga or meditation for the first time, I think you and I both had a very similar experience of maybe almost being a little scared of it, maybe not even enjoying it at the beginning. So I think it will be great for us to chat more about all of those things and just think critically about everything, have honest conversation to today. And I hope that the listeners today will also enjoy being a part of this conversation with us. So if anyone is listening, you know, we would love to know your opinions and your experiences, um, because that's sort of how we learn and grow too. And I know myself as a yoga and meditation teacher, I love hearing about people's experiences and how they can better their experience or how they think they can have a better experience one day with yoga and meditation. I think we have a lot to, of work to do to make it a more inclusive environment and for me yoga and meditation have done so much for me they have overall helped me become a much more level-headed and calm person and so when anyone talks about like the benefits of yoga or anything I always say that's my number one like overall my emotions my personality I do feel a shift and I felt that shift when I really gave more of my attention and time to yoga and meditation and in a way by teaching I feel so grateful to be able to maybe pass on a little bit of that to other individuals because I know how much it has helped me. It's changed me in a way that I don't think anything else really would have changed me in this way. It's helped with my mental health as well. It's made me not only calmer, but I think it's just made me look at things in a different way and be able to take a step back and pause before going into certain situations. So I'm so grateful as a teacher to maybe be able to pass on some of that and I'm glad we're talking about it today too and I would say like especially if anybody out there who is experiencing anxiety or depression or just like you know panic attacks and stuff we are now living in a pandemic and it's easy to put yourself into that position you're quite vulnerable to these sort of situations or conditions so we're busy adapting to the new working from home routine we have a higher likelihood to deal with all these conditions because we have personal, financial, and medical problems. And then we have lesser time to go out and socialize. And then we have more time to do house chores. At the same time, we have more conflicts with our loved ones because we're stuck at home, right? So most people would say they don't have time for a short meditation and yoga stretch or even a yoga session for like maybe 15 to 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be an hour, right? So, But how can people get started with the habit of practicing yoga and meditation? even if it's just like a short period of time during their day. Yeah, I think that 
beginning and just giving it a start is the most important thing. And I think honestly for beginners and people who don't have tons of time, even meditating for 10 minutes can seem like a lot, especially if you either don't have a lot of time or you've never meditated before. It can be very hard to just sit there and all of a sudden meditate and be still and be silent and be calm. So I definitely also recommend looking into different types of meditation before jumping in. So for example, someone who's like super busy and just doesn't have the time, they might not want to make doing really long meditations a goal for them. That might just not be in the cards. They don't want to work up to being able to meditate for half hour, hour long periods. So look at the different types of meditation. Um, Headspace is a great app to get started with. And also on their website, there's a very detailed list explaining all of the different types of meditation. So a guided meditation where someone's sort of talking you through how to do it versus an unguided, which is maybe something that you might want to practice a little bit before doing, whereas that more traditional, just sitting and focusing on your breath and maybe setting a timer for however long works for you. And I think that's what it comes down to. Whatever time works for you, whether it's one minute, five minutes, whether you can do it every single day or whether you can do it when you need it, it's all good and it's all wonderful. So there are definitely some other types of meditation too that once you get into this world of learning more about it, if people want to explore that more, there's specific types of meditation, for example, mantra meditation, where you kind of repeat a phrase or a word internally and you focus on that rather than focusing on the breath. Some people find that to be very calming and it works for them. We'll talk a bit more about mindfulness, I think, later on, but that's another very common way of incorporating mindfulness and meditation together um, and essentially, you know, just bringing your awareness to the here and now. And there's visualization meditations um, where you're essentially visualizing a scenario in your mind. Maybe you're walking through a forest. Those are often guided meditations where someone's taking you through this journey with their voice in a way. So if you get to that point after just starting and trying to meditate for a minute or two, maybe using an app like Headspace, if you find that it's right for you, it works for you, then you can maybe branch out a little bit and read that list on the Headspace website, look into the different types of meditation in more detail, and maybe try out different things until you find the routine that works for you. Because I'm sure even you and I might meditate in different ways, or we have ideal lengths of time that work better for us. So we're all different. We're all unique. So it's all about just finding what works best for you. Some people are like myself. I'm sure you could relate to it too, Hannah. Like, you know, our first experience with meditating can be quite challenging. Even if it's just like five minutes meditation, you know, people either relax too much or, you know, sometimes when I meditate, I focus too much on my breathing and then at some point my mind is so racy I'm thinking about what I'm doing today uh, what I will do tomorrow and then I'll be like let's just come back to my breathing and then it goes back to another racy thought again is that normal yeah so basically the analogy I don't know if you've heard it um, but anyone who's kind of involved in yoga meditation maybe has heard this before but essentially what is always said is that the mind is like a monkey so it's 
comparing the mind to a monkey constantly jumping around to different branches of thought, essentially, right? Your mind's over here, you think you're focusing on your breath, or you're focusing on your meditation. And then all of a sudden, you're thinking about what you had for dinner last night, or all the things that you need to do tomorrow, like you said, and it is so common. And I think that's ultimately what the challenge of meditation, that's what meditation is, is figuring out how to block that out, stop that as much as possible, be aware of any incoming thoughts, but ultimately release them and be able to stay in sort of your happy meditative zone. So how would you recommend to people who are starting to meditate on a daily basis without getting overwhelmed about how to do it correctly? I think that doing it correctly is one of the biggest fears that people have and what turns people away. So I think a lot of people feel like they need to do uh, like an hour long meditation class at a studio or a workshop or something like that. And maybe you see people who are really experienced at meditation, they're able to just go and snap into it and just meditate for 30 minutes or even longer. Some people can meditate for hours. And um, some of you listening may know, of course, that meditation is really a cornerstone of Buddhism. Um, And we see monks devoting their entire lives to meditation. And so their ultimate goal is to practice meditation and eventually reach enlightenment. And that can be overwhelming, uh, especially for beginners. And they want to take part in meditation. Maybe they don't really know how to do that, right? And so even if you only have a few minutes a day, this is what I always say to students or anyone kind of asking me about this is that any yoga or any meditation is perfect as it is. So even if it's just meditating for one minute or, you know, doing, if you're more into the yoga side, doing some stretches at your desk at work, it counts. It is correct. It is, it's beautiful in its own way. And you're going to see benefits in both your mental and physical health, even if you just make it a small part of your routine. And I think the other important thing to remember too, my biggest advice would just be that knowing that it's a journey and it's going to be full of learning and growing. Even as a teacher, I'm still learning about meditation. I'm learning about new ways to meditate, how to sort of get better at it. We all have bad days, those days where maybe we can't, we just can't meditate. It just doesn't work for us. And that's why I also kind of recommend maybe starting with more of a guided meditation. Start with a voice, maybe on an app or a video guiding you through. And you can start with kind of one to five minute meditations and work your way up if that works for you. Or you can just stick with those short ones forever too. Like I said, any meditation is perfect as it is. So um, maybe eventually some of you will want to get comfortable and you'll want to stick to that goal of meditating without someone guiding you through and kind of guiding yourself through. And that's a great goal as well. So just be you, do your best, try your best. And that's all you can really ask for. That's actually how I started meditating. I use Headspace. For those who don't know what it is, it's like an app that has a lot of guided meditation. It's super good for beginners like myself. I used to meditate with guided meditations. 
at some point, I was able to sometimes kind of withdraw that, put that on the side, and just do my thing. Sometimes I listen to nature sounds and stuff like that, or sound healing music. I find that very useful. If you are a beginner like myself,、uh, who are still practicing basic yoga and meditation as a habit, you can use soundscapes and sound healing music. You can also find that on Spotify or on YouTube because I find that usually when you utilize that kind of music with yoga and meditation, it can calm you down and put away all the busyness and noises, which allows you to connect with the nature. The sound of the nature is actually what we really need in our daily lives, and that's what we're lacking as urban citizens because we're stuck in a city, right? So nature soundscapes—they always link to meditation and yoga at some point. I feel like, do you usually meditate or do yoga with this kind of music? Yeah, I think that music can really work sometimes, and I love in more of my relaxing, meditative kind of yoga classes to have music going.、Um, but I think everyone's different. Some people really enjoy the silence,、um, and some people love to have those kind of nature sounds you were talking about. I always recommend kind of. Well, actually, one of the meditations that I do with students a lot, I call it my happy place. Meditation. So I encourage people to kind of think about where they feel the most happy. So, where is your happy place in this world? Do you feel the most happy when you're on the beach? Is that where you feel the most relaxed? Is it walking through a forest that's completely silent? Maybe you only hear the wind or the trees. Or maybe you feel happiest when you're cozy at home. You hear a crackling fire. Maybe you're happiest when you're. Listening to music, maybe you're at a concert. So, asking yourself those questions, and then from that, thinking about the sounds that are involved in your happy place. So, like maybe if the beach is your happy place, then you would really connect to listening to、uh, nature sounds from the beach, like crashing waves or water sounds. That might really calm you, since that for you is your happy place. If that makes sense. So. I'm definitely someone who finds water noises very calming, so I'll often meditate with those in the background. But I am also someone who really enjoys focusing, and I find sometimes I do it better if I do have complete silence. So sometimes、um, when I'm meditating, I do choose to have silence as well. I can't do silence for some reason. <laughs> like I feel like having. A meditation session with myself with no sound really distracts me more because my racing mind it's like acting out again and I'm thinking a lot. Yeah, I guess that maybe it's never fully quiet and silent in my house because I do have a dog. So I, maybe that's why my my relaxing meditation soundtrack is hearing the pitter patter of my dog's feet going around the apartment. So it's never maybe truly silent, which is why I can handle it. Maybe that's the reason. <laughs> I find that my happy. Place is also you know related to ocean sounds and like river lakes and even the forest because I find that really soothing, calming, and it's like a little getaway from my mind to focus on the presence and how I'm not really living in the city because I find urban noise pollutions are very harmful to our mental health. When you meditate with soundscape, it's like a little aid to your meditation session. It levels down your stress and anxiety level. And that really helps with our physical well-being too. 
I also use sound healing music. Sound healing music is pretty much sound vibrations that you can make from crystal and metal bowls. You know, those sound vibrations will relax your body and your mind. And sometimes when I listen to it during my yoga and meditation sessions, even before sleep and during sleep. So there are some benefits like sound waves reaching into our brain and it triggers responses in our body. And so that helps reducing pain and anxiety levels. So I found this research that is from a journal called Advanced Nursing. It's from sometime from 2006. They kind of discovered people who listen to sound healing music have a better time reducing their stress and anxiety level and it's easier for people to breathe slower and slowing down their thoughts that's really good for people who struggle with anxiety and panic attacks yeah do you do bedtime meditations I love before bed meditations. I absolutely do them myself. And I love running some of my yoga classes in the evening so that people get that before bed meditation experience. And I think it's such a cool way that we can better our sleep experience. And I truly think that you know, what you were mentioning too, kind of the Tibetan singing bowls. Um, if you look up any sort of singing bowl meditations or any sort of that music, it's so calming. It's so relaxing. There's also crystal kind of healing bowls as well. Um, basically, he yes, he loves healing bowls as well. <laughs> healing bowl music. Um, and I think that what, I, what I've also learned, um, I went to a little workshop about the kind of specifically the metal Tibetan singing bowls that you brought up. And apparently what a lot of them are meant to do is they're meant to kind of relax the chakras in the body. So in, in yoga, we have this concept that there are these little energy centers called chakras mm -hmm. in our body and that these singing bowls are actually tuned to the frequencies of these energy centers in our body. So I think that that's a really cool thing to research more and I was so interested to learn about it and I truly believe that it can help us you know calm down it can help us have a better sleep um, if we can relax sort of the energy that's circulating in our body then we can do so much for our mental health and our sleep cycle I find sound healing music very useful and valuable to meditation because before bed I would meditate with it meditating before bedtime it's kind of like a way to train my my racing mind to withdraw myself from our, our jobs, our chores, our concerns for the day, and especially during this pandemic. And meditate before sleep, it really helps lower the levels of insomnia. And usually meditating without sound, as you said, sometimes like being complete silence or with soundscapes and sound healing music is really helpful because it helps taking away the urban noise pollution. Like we're always listening to noises like airplanes buses cars people talking and all that excessive noises totally just eliminate it and take it apart from our lives and yeah i think that really helps to embrace you know being in the present absolutely i i 100 agree with you i feel like meditating before bed is probably the most opportune time to do it because sometimes at the end of the day right that's when your thoughts are racing the most because not only are you thinking about all of the hours 
hours that have already taken place during that day. But then you're also knowing that when you wake up, you're going to have to deal with all of these things tomorrow. So it's like you're living in the past, you're living in the future. And it's so hard to just find that space to fall asleep and just kind of focus on your breathing and falling asleep right now being mindful in a way. So I definitely agree with you meditating before bed can be so beneficial. And it can be so relaxing and truly help you have a better sleep. I also find that practicing yoga and meditation before a presentation, even the interview really helps for a person like myself. I could get a little bit introverted, even though I have an outgoing personality. It, you know, sometimes going out, having a social event or doing a presentation can be a very anxious situation for myself. And I usually do it at home or just in my car for like five minutes. I think that's good enough to release any sort of tension you have on your mind. I feel like having a meditation before your interview, it's kind of like a confidence boost. You can break the cycle of being self-conscious before public speaking and even practice having a positive self-image during presentation or before an interview. So yeah, I think that one of the things that we always talk about kind of in the yoga and meditation world is that sometimes the hardest points there's my meditation soundtrack (laughs) the dog marking but um no sometimes the hardest kind of times to meditate are the times where you need it the most so trying to calm that adrenaline shooting through the roof before a presentation for example even though that's such a challenging moment to meditate in that's the best time where we actually need it the most so even though it's hard we should definitely give it a go and just do our best and see if we can calm ourselves and take that take that space beforehand it's really important to meditate at times that seem challenging. And I think coming back to this whole idea of being stuck at home more in this pandemic and not being able to have access to spaces outside the home to practice meditation or yoga in, it can be really challenging. You know, like I've had to deal with having a pet at home all the time. And there's moments where I can block out those distractions. And then there's moments where it gets to be too much. So I recognize that sometimes you're not always able to completely block out those distractions in difficult situations. You know, if you have a child that immediately needs your attention, or for my case, a dog, sometimes it gets to a point where you can't block things out and you you have to deal with it. But I think that's sort of the beautiful thing about practicing yoga and meditation at home during this time is we have to train ourselves to at least be able to block out the little distractions, right? Like whether it's the little noises or the chores we haven't completed or anything we've previously talked about, we kind of have to train ourselves to be able to let go of those little distractions. And if we can do that in our lives, if we can learn to meditate at home in our own space, I feel like that's going to help us in every aspect of life. Like when we were talking about meditating before a big presentation, when you're in a stressful situation at work, whatever it is, whenever that difficult time is when your thoughts are racing before bed, if you can block out the distractions, at least the minor ones, then you will be amazing and you'll be able to have this place of calmness within yourself that you know is always safe and you know you can always enter. And specifically with sort of meditation relating to anxiety, there is actually a form of yoga and meditation. It's called kundalini yoga or kundalini meditation. 
meditation. And basically one of the cornerstones of this type of yoga and meditation is that you're trying to actually get your heart rate up. So you do these exercise sets called kriyas or these moving meditations where you're actually moving your body in challenging ways. And it's meant to get your heart rate up. It's meant to make you start saying things like, I don't know if I can do this. This is really difficult. And then after you've kind of gotten that adrenaline and your heart rate up and you're in these really difficult positions or movements, then you're trying to train yourself to be able to be calm in those moments. And after you finish the exercise set or the moving meditation, you're trying to learn how to essentially be able to bring that heart rate back down, be able to take deep breaths. So it's very challenging. If you've ever, you know, done workouts or anything like that, you know how challenging it is when you get that heart rate up. And when you feel that adrenaline, it's really that's the hardest time where it is to calm yourself, right. And one of my favorite quotes of all time is it goes like, if the ocean can calm itself, so can you and I believe it's by a poet. Um, and the last name is Heed. Um, if you want to look up that quote, there's a bit more that goes along with it. But I think that's such a beautiful sentiment that, you know, the ocean can calm itself, so can you. You do have the power to be able with meditation, kundalini yoga or meditation, what I've what I've said of it, it sounds like something that you might be specifically interested in. We can train ourselves to relax in times of stress. As hard as that sounds, we do have the ability um, beyond, you know, of course, like we mentioned before, any really dire circumstances where it goes beyond the point of being able to use things like yoga and meditation, journaling to calm down. There are serious situations where it just doesn't work, but we can adapt to life's basic ebbs and flows, the roller coaster of every day. And we can have the power to calm ourselves through meditation, whether it's before a presentation or any stressful situation we might encounter. I guess that's why the combination of practicing yoga and meditation works so well, right? Like, as you said, beginners could uh, explore around different types of meditation and yoga practices to kind of maximize their mindfulness. And can you maybe talk a little bit more about what mindfulness is? Yeah, absolutely. I think mindfulness is a word a lot of us hear or maybe even use in our daily vocabulary. But I think some people are still maybe a little bit unsure of what it actually means or what it entails. Basically, mindfulness is just being aware of the here and now. So being present in the moment. And this looks like a bunch of different things. If you're just talking about mindfulness in your daily life, that sort of looks like, you know, you're being present in the moment with your conversation. So say your partner's talking to you, you're not scrolling through Instagram or on your phone, you're actually in that moment, listening fully, and you're thinking about the conversation only and you're not letting your mind wander or your, you know, your fingers wander on your phone, in a sense, and you're you're really being present with that conversation. So that's sort of an example of mindfulness in everyday life. And when it comes to yoga and meditation, mindfulness is essentially the goal. Um, because you can go to a yoga class, or you can practice meditation. But if the whole time during your meditation or yoga practice, you're thinking about something else, right, you're thinking about your to do list, you're thinking about the movie you want to see on the weekend, 
you're not really getting the full benefits and it's hard. For the first few yoga classes and even as an experienced yoga practitioner, you can still have moments where it's hard to be mindful. But doing your best to overcome that and train yourself to be able to two minutes if you're doing a two minute meditation or if you're doing a longer yoga class or whatever it is to be able to not let the mind wander as much as possible and be aware of every movement if you're doing yoga being aware of how your body is moving in that moment or if you're doing more meditation and breathing being aware of your breathing in that moment being aware of the space that you're in right now and just not letting those thoughts drift so in a way you also mentioned sort of why or how yoga and meditation seem to work so well together. And I think one of the reasons, A, is what I just said, is the fact that mindfulness is the ultimate goal in both of those things. And mindfulness is also the goal in our daily lives. You know, it makes us live more intentionally if we can be mindful. And I think that because the goal is ultimately the same with yoga and meditation, to be living in the present moment and to not be worrying or thinking about everything else going on, that's why they sort of seem to fit so well together. On top of that, Essentially, yoga, just a very brief kind of history, I won't say too much about it, but yoga is basically meant to prepare the body for meditation. So that's sort of like the traditional way that yoga was even invented is, in fact, meditation is more of the important final goal. And then yoga should come as a way to achieve that goal of being able to meditate to be able to concentrate, um, you know, for people to take it all the way um, to enlightenment, like Buddhist monks who are practicing that that is the true ultimate, ultimate goal. But for people kind of wondering, you know, should I do yoga? Should I do meditation? Should I do both? I think they both really work well together. They both have different benefits. But in a way, I think that you can better your meditation practice if you practice yoga, because your body will feel more prepared to be able to sit or feel more strong to stay still in whatever meditation pose you've chosen. And I think it does work a little bit vice versa as well. If you find a way to shut off the mind and focus on the breathing when you're meditating and focus on the moment, clear the mind of all thoughts, if you can do that when you're sitting still, then you'll be able to also do that when you practice yoga and you'll find it easier to link your breath with your movement, which is essentially all yoga is. And you'll you'll find you'll get more out of your yoga practice. So I think that's a little more about sort of why they work well together and maybe a little bit more of an insight into mindfulness. I think all those things that you just mentioned are all the reasons why we all should start meditating and practicing yoga because you know there are so many benefits and there are a lot of traditional practices theories and history behind it i think especially during this pandemic when we're trying to stay safe uh, stay healthy and stay sane practicing meditation and yoga can definitely help optimizing our focus and relaxation during different times whether you're trying to relax your mind before bedtime or even before an interview and a big event so to our listeners i'm pretty sure that some of you are really curious about the recommendations of online resources and books you know for everybody who really want to get to know more about yoga meditation so hannah do you have any recommendations or any you know resources that you are very passionate about that you want to share to our listeners yeah for sure so i think i'll I'll share one or two now and one of the ones is mindfulness.org which is just a free online 
website. And especially what we were just talking about, if listeners are curious about learning more about mindfulness specifically and sort of how that relates to meditation, mindfulness.org is a great website. It has tons of information on there. um, And I think it can really help people learn to live a more intentional life and learn how to be more mindful, not just on the yoga mat or, you know, sitting down meditating, but in every single day. And if you're less of an online reader, uh, but you want to kind of learn about a similar concept, I haven't personally read this book yet. But one that's on my list is it's called Mindfulness Yoga, the Awakened Union of Breath, Body and Mind. And I think it's going to be a really interesting read. I've read some reviews online about it. um, And I think it's going to talk a lot more to about how yoga relates to mindfulness. So I think the mindfulness.org is great for people who are maybe more into the meditation side of things. And the book that I mentioned is maybe more for people who are interested in the yoga side of things, or both if you're interested in both. So those are a couple resources. For now, those are two big ones that I highly recommend. I really appreciate the recommendations and the online resources that you just provided for me and to all of our listeners, because it's like a great time to read into information that we don't know, especially during this pandemic. And it's like encouraging everybody to learn something new during this time, especially when you're stuck at home. It's always good to get to know more about it. I just want to thank you for educating me and our listeners about all these benefits about yoga and meditation. This upcoming topic has nothing to do with COVID, and but it's an interesting topic to talk about. We have the internet and social media during our modern times. Even though information and facts are extremely accessible, but at the same time, and even myself, I realized that when I was on social media, I, you know, because we have the internet and social media, it's easy for us to get a lot of information. But at the same time, I observed a few things about the yoga, the meditation culture, slash community you know what's going on on social media and how people do yoga and meditation and people post pictures of it on their accounts I realized that at the same time there are lots of misinformation misleading representation even exploitation of yoga and meditation culture on social media I kind of realized that there's this body shaming issue going on and you know there are a lot of insta famous yoga gurus doing crazy yoga yoga poses I'm not talking about anybody specifically it's just like you know people portraying themselves fitting into their extra small yoga pants and you know people including myself who are not particularly petite people like us would always internalize the thought that we're not good enough to do yoga and meditation because of our body sizes and shape so have you ever encountered anybody who got that sort of mentality and how do you help them to overcome it yeah absolutely Absolutely. It's such a good question. And this is a topic that I'm super passionate about because beyond just having certain individuals in my class experience this, when I originally was getting more into yoga and meditation, I often felt like myself, you know, similar, not having a a super small body type. And I get some people have that naturally, you know, perfect, what we say in our society is perfect body type. Um, And I often felt like, oh, you know, I, I, 
myself barely fit into one of the larger sizes of Lululemon. How are other people going to feel of all shapes and sizes? You know, how do I feel? Like, I don't feel like I look like some of the other people or the other yoga teachers or people on social media. Social media adds this extra layer for sure. And I truly believe that not everyone is making yoga and meditation an inclusive environment or community, kind of what you touched on. Basically, one of the things that sort of brought me out of that to give you a positive example was training with Julianne Arce, who was sort of my yoga mentor. She is the person who led my yoga teacher training in California. I really looked up to her because she really promoted that anyone can not only just practice yoga or practice meditation, but anyone of any body shape, any size, and all these other factors, you know, they can actually become a yoga teacher and a meditation teacher as well. So there's no barriers. And so that's sort of a positive example of someone who brought me out of that thinking that I'm not good enough. And I think that that really helped in my development. So sort of my goal is to now do the same and pass the same thing on um, to anyone who might experience those feelings of I'm not good enough to do yoga, or I don't look a certain way, I really hope that I can bring them out of that and make them feel included and welcome in my classes. That's my number one thing. I always want to make people feel like they are more than good enough to be there and that anything that they do, even if they can't do all the yoga poses or whatever it is, they're good enough. I also definitely don't teach kind of the the crazy, I call it like pretzel kind of yoga where you do really difficult arm balances or stretches or flexible things. I'm much more into the more relaxing yoga. I do a little bit of, you know, flow yoga teaching as well, but it's mostly based around yoga that's more accessible for everyone, which is sort of what I'm most passionate about. And I think coming back to your thing about the whole elitist nature that social media represents and lots of people in real life do it too when it comes to the yoga and meditation community. Um, For example, those people you're saying, you know, they post pictures of themselves. Maybe they're wearing tons of, you know, brand new Lululemon outfits in every picture. And they're sort of promoting in a way an unattainable lifestyle for many people with certain body sizes, right? Lots of people maybe can't even fit into Lululemon sizing, like their sizes are so tiny, right? And it's, it's sort of limiting the people who feel like they can be involved and they can enjoy the yoga and meditation community. And I know you and I could probably get into a whole other conversation also about Lululemon in general and some of the things that we don't agree with and because they've also shown to be not inclusive of cultures as well, which is huge and it's it's not okay. So I think that places like that that only cater to a certain size and in this case maybe more to a certain race as well, it's just, it's not being an inclusive yoga environment at all. It's also when we think about it financially an unattainable lifestyle for a lot of people. A lot of people think they also can't get involved in the yoga and meditation community because, oh, I don't have tons of money to spend on expensive yoga clothes from somewhere like Lululemon, or I don't have the money to buy a really expensive pass to a yoga or meditation studio. I think that that's so sad because I don't think that those things should be barriers for yoga or meditation. I think that everyone should feel like they can do it they can be involved in it they can practice it they can be a beginner and they can come in and they can learn 
And so that's sort of what I'm trying to do with my own classes is it's be more welcoming to everyone, but it takes a whole community. And I think there is a change kind of coming and I'm seeing a lot more diversity starting to happen. Um, You know, on Instagram, people of more different body sizes, people of different races, teaching yoga and meditation and all of these things. But at the same time, I also feel like we have a long way to go. There's a lot of things that still need to be worked on to make it feel like a more inclusive environment. And that's actually sort of one of the reasons that I don't ever see myself supporting this kind of elitist community through teaching at studios branded as luxury or upscale. um, Because I don't really agree with the hiring practices at many of these studios. Again, like you, I'm not naming any names specifically or calling anyone out. But I encourage listeners to take a look at, you know, yoga studios and kind of look at the people that they hire. There's some that are doing really well at trying to offer different styles of yoga that are accessible to different people, trying to make sure that there's a diversity in the staff, a diversity in body shapes in the staff as well. But I guarantee you that at a lot of these kind of like luxury, expensive, fancy yoga studios, you will see predominantly white yoga teachers, you'll see predominantly these white yoga teachers having a very certain type of body and wearing certain types of clothes and all of the things we've been talking about, which doesn't make all people feel like they can connect to that. And sort of my niche that I'm really trying to get involved in and I'm really passionate about is, as I mentioned before, some of the work I do in addition to my yoga and meditation stuff is that I do work for a nonprofit that provides programming for individuals of all abilities. And through that, I was very grateful during this kind of pandemic time to be able to offer some online yoga and meditation classes to that population of individuals. So for example, the students in these classes would be individuals with varying levels of physical ability. So for example, I've had students who are deaf, maybe students who are very limited in their mobility to the point of being in a wheelchair or really not being able to move many parts of their body. And then also in these classes, I have some individuals who identify as having special needs. So um, autism, Asperger's, Down syndrome, all of these things. And this is something that we also need to be mindful of, I think, in this community and something that I'm so passionate about as well is making all individuals feel loved and accepted in this yoga and meditation community and making everyone feel like there's a way that they can practice meditation, there's a way that they can practice yoga and feel happy and welcome and not feel like they're not good enough. And so that's sort of a little bit about my opinion on everything. And it's certainly something that I think we're both really passionate about talking about because we do need to see some more change. So I also recognize that there are some false representation of what real yoga is and what meditation really is. You know, like I met people in the past who kind of, again, not going to mention who it is, but who exploit yoga and meditation and posted pictures of them and kind of promote quote unquote positivity and good vibes without addressing how some individuals practice it for reducing anxiety levels and physical pain like myself you know and do you think these people are actually exploiting yoga and meditation to promote some sort of hippie movement and oppressing those who are practicing it to better their lives yes I absolutely agree with you and I think that one of the most life-changing books I have read in my entire life but I happened to read it as it was part of my course materials during my yoga teacher training and I think even those who don't 
want to become yoga or meditation teachers, just anyone, I highly, highly recommend it. The book is called The Yamas and the Nayamas. And essentially, it talks about the true values in a traditional yoga lifestyle and a way to live that is meaningful and not selfish. And basically, to go into it a little bit, there are eight limbs of yoga and stretching and poses, which we call like asana. That's only a small part of it. As I mentioned before, like meditation, there are some limbs dedicated towards that. And then there's other things too that we don't even realize um, that are involved in the whole concept of yoga. And two of those things are the yamas and the nayamas. And they're essentially a set of rules or a set of, of values that people who want to live the true yoga lifestyle should abide by. And they're all very important things that I think just everyone in life should steer more towards. And the thing that is kind of sad is that these you know, set of values involved in the yoga lifestyle, it's not necessarily the good vibes, hippie lifestyle that's presented on social media. Um, So for example, the yamas specifically are an aspect of the yoga lifestyle that are a set of social ethics. And they involve things like being kind, not harming others, um, things like moderation and generosity in everyday life. And I think that the reason why I highly recommend this book so much is because a lot of of what people post on social media is all for show. And in fact, sometimes it's the complete opposite of these values that I just mentioned, which is, you know, kindness and moderation and generosity. It's the exact opposite of that. It's look how expensive my clothes are. Look what I have in a way showing off. You know, there are all those people, like we said, showing themselves doing crazy yoga poses that not everyone can do and living a perfect, healthy lifestyle. And maybe some of those people they truly are just amazing yogis they're so good at what they do and they truly do live a holistically healthy lifestyle they're kind to people they eat in healthy ways all of those things and some of those people I think are genuine but I think the sad reality is that there's a lot of people who are not actually what I'd call healthy people in real life in terms of being kind and generous and honest to others and then there's sort of this whole hippie I call it like the yogurt and granola that's kind of like a common term to describe it but essentially is it's like yogurt and granola culture um, where they send off this message of like oh yeah we love everyone and you know we live with one uh, we're at one with nature and all of these things but in fact it can seem exclusive and elitist you know we we may ask ourselves I know you and I have both maybe asked ourselves this like am I enough of a hippie to be involved in this whole yoga and meditation lifestyle for example like I don't eat acai bowls for every meal and I can't do some of the you know um, very very difficult yoga moves that I'm seeing all over social media and uh, I certainly don't go to you know music festivals or any of these things that the hippie culture seems to promote so do I really fit in right is this meant to be my path should I even practice these things like yoga and meditation but I think that the truth is is that none of these things are actually a central part of how the traditional yoga lifestyle started which is what I kind of mentioned before 
for and why I recommend that book. So basically, somehow, even though people are doing all these things, we still feel like we aren't true yogis, because we don't also do these things. We don't eat in super healthy ways all the time, or we can't do certain things with our bodies, or we don't participate in like the extent of the hippie culture in quotation marks, like with the music festivals and everything. And I mean, again, we could probably go into a whole other conversation, you and I about people who go beyond and they take it too far. You know, you see people who brand themselves as yogis or, you know, people who are really into meditation and then you see them go to a music festival and they're wearing like a traditional feather headdress which is just blatant cultural appropriation so going back to those yoga values is that really kind to others is that being respectful of others is that non-harmful to others I would argue is no that's again the complete opposite like I said there's a lot of work that needs to be done I think in this community and unfortunately I do think that some people are just resistant to change or don't really understand that some of the things they're promoting or the decisions that they're making or what they're showing on social media is actually harming certain people. And so yeah, I I ultimately I just want to get across that I never want people to feel like you're not good enough to do yoga because of race, because of ability, body size, um, money for yoga clothes or studio memberships, or because you're not a part of this unattainable and quite frankly, often tone deaf hippie culture. I think we need more inclusivity and conversations like these, the ones that you and I are having right now, will hopefully bring awareness and then one day ultimately change. Totally. And I agree with everything you just said. And even if these yoga instructors and gurus are not intended to, you know, engage in cultural appropriation, I think there's a difference between like respecting and appreciating a culture versus exploiting the culture to gain some sort of social status and popularity when people engage in cultural appropriation they exploit everything that's behind that culture and even the history of it so it becomes really disrespectful i'm not saying that people shouldn't practice yoga and meditation because of all these things but to study about everything that hannah just talked about you know educate ourselves about the history theories facts science and even the proper the real mentality of it can really prevent us to exploit such practice or culture especially those cultures that do not belong to us. These oppressive issues like body shaming, social status, cultural appropriation are really problematic in the yoga and meditation community. And if we engage in more mindful and respectful conversations about this, more people will learn how to respect it and appreciate the real meaning of yoga and meditation, traditional practice of it, and how it can benefit us in the long run. Reasons why we talk about these issues is because it's there's always a bright side and a dark side of everything, and we hope beginners like myself are able to utilize yoga and meditation to ease their COVID stress and anxiety. Talking about the darker side really helps people to understand and what habits and behaviors are harmful to our own well-being and to others as well. So uh, yeah, we are wrapping up this episode. 
I really want to thank Hannah for being a part of this conversation. And I know Hannah is working from home and teaching yoga online. And why don't you tell us more about what you're doing lately? Yeah, for sure. So um, basically, I've moved all of my yoga and meditation teaching online right now. And my own small business that I run, um, which is geared towards exactly kind of what we've been talking about, which is um, classes for people who are beginners or maybe who people who have felt a little nervous to try yoga or maybe experience people who just don't really feel like they fit in at um, certain studios or in certain environments. So I'm teaching online live classes and my website is called happinesswithhanna.com and so all the information about the online live classes is over there and also my goal is to remove even more financial barriers so those online group classes are they are um, I guess paid classes so it works out to about five dollars a class so I've try- always try to make things affordable uh, but my goal is to also provide free online yoga and meditation for individuals as well so on my Instagram which is also happiness with Hannah I've already posted a couple meditation videos on there um, and I'm also planning to have some on YouTube as well so I'm planning to kind of grow a bit of a YouTube channel and just kind of post a lot of meditation videos, simple yoga videos that you can do at home again, totally free. So it removes any sort of barrier to be able to practice. And um, of course, maybe some other fun things too, like lifestyle. And hopefully maybe in some of those videos too, I can talk more about some of these things that we've talked about today, like the issues that we've been passionate about. Yeah, so I'm just really looking forward to that. Um, That's sort of some of my information. And yeah, feel free to get in touch if you're interested in trying one of my classes. And I just want to say thank you so much to Tammy for having me on this on this podcast and for just making it such a a fun but also important conversation and I'm so grateful that you uh, asked me to be a guest here I really enjoyed it I enjoyed talking to you too as well as always you know this insightful conversation doesn't end right here and we really hope more people will become more curious about benefits of yoga and meditation especially during this pandemic and we really appreciate that you're tuning in and listening to our conversation especially when our special guest Hannah is right here with us and if you've got some questions or comments about this podcast or this episode you can leave a review on google and apple Podcasts. and thank you so much for listening guys once again i just want to say that thank you for checking out this podcast and make sure you hit subscribe for more upcoming content don't forget to stay tuned for the next episode and bye for now